Gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. Gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. Yeah, gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. And I can't get it out of my head. Cause I won't use discretion when I'm talking about obsession. Cause this is what makes me me. And I'm glad that I called ya. I'm talking about nostalgia. And this is where I wanna be. Gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. Gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. Yeah, gimme, gimme, cause I'm obsessed. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of the Gimme Podcast. I'm your host and resident horse girl, Kathleen DeMarle. And I'm here with this week's guest, who is a very funny comedian. And he has a podcast right now called Norm, which is about um, Cheers, the TV show. We have on Mike Dorval. Hi, Mike. How are you doing, Kathleen? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. <laughs> I'm fully vaxxed and not quite ready to actually see human beings. Yeah. It's a weird place I didn't expect to be in. Yeah, it's definitely. Where I am. Yeah, it's a weird place. And I, I feel like you are one of the people I've heard over the course of the last year who's been very like careful about doing things. So have yep. you like started like venturing out now that you're vaxxed or not really? Yes. Um, I mean, I was careful with stuff. So we're doing like, you know, we went to Dave and Buster's today, like a little family outing. We're going to do a little trip. So, you know, I'm trying not to be ridiculous about it. We're vaccinated and all the data tells me that I'm safe and going to go out in the world. I'm not going to open mouth kiss strangers in Alabama. But, you know, I, I wasn't doing that a ton before the pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty good. That's good. Yeah. I, I just, during the time I've just been thinking, all right, we're going to be careful until we get to this point. And now I at least am at this point. So I'm going to live my life reasonably again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although I might just stay masked. I think I probably will continue to wear a mask. I did make a mistake of going to an open mic last week or two weeks mm-hmm. ago and one of the comics made fun of me for wearing a mask the whole time. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get COVID from you. I'm sorry. Are you fully vaccinated? Uh, I will be next week. Well, then, of course, you're going to stay in a mask. Who's making fun of you for wearing yeah. a mask? It was some Worcester. It was some uh, guy from Worcester. He was an older guy. You know, Yeah, it's fine. Oh, I think I probably know who. Yeah. yeah. Everyone <laughs> shut up. Like, cause honestly, I might spend the next 30 years in a mask. It's I, really, I, one good thing to come out of this. So two good things. One, I'm not shaking anyone's hand anymore. Period. Yeah. It's useless. Two, I think I'm staying masked. I think it's that. It's nice. Yeah. I, we're, we're done with the bad breath problem. Yeah. That was how we were getting each other sick anyway. I can make faces at you and you don't know. Yeah. I can make style choices with my mask. There's a lot of pluses here. You can talk to yourself in a mask. I mean, it's like, fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. No one thinks fine. you're crazy. Yeah, I uh, I will probably after all of this, I'll probably wear a mask at least in the winter and during travel. But I assume that for the next decade, I'll be wearing a mask in most public situations. There's no reason not to. I I mean, I'm going to be reasonable about it outdoors and yeah. you know with company. But at least for the next six to eight months until we see how many people are actually getting vaccinated. I'm staying masked up. And then, yeah, like you, on an airplane, I think I'm going to wear a mask the rest of my life. Yeah. 
uh, in a bowling alley, mask. Mm. Yeah, all this good stuff. Movie theater, probably mask. It's going to be hard to eat popcorn, though. I have to be gluten-free oh, anyway, so I can't enjoy anyway. the, the stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm losing yeah. almost nothing. Yeah, that's true. Well, Mike, the reason I brought you on this podcast is to talk about uh, your childhood obsession, which you said was wrestling, which I'm not yep. surprised by because there is a weird like what's the word I'm trying to say there's a lot of comics that like wrestling mm -hmm. so I'm not shocked when you told me wrestling yeah I, I feel like that is something I've only really learned in the last five to ten years of comedy yeah when I first started comedy I couldn't have a wrestling conversation with anybody interesting and now yeah it's something that is very much like a popular topic for everybody to talk about but most of the people who are talking about it we're fans of a different era than mine. Okay. So yeah. I can't talk to anybody about Quick Draw Rick McGraw <laughs> and, you know, like the, yeah, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Like these are all things that I got to watch live that everyone talks about. Oh yeah, Arn Anderson, he booked that territory at some point. Like, how dare you? That man was a star. Yeah. So the I've had one other comic on to talk about wrestling and it was mm -hmm. AJ Haypenny. And he okay. talks about the WWE, but he talked about a lot of stuff that is very like recent. Like I would say mm -hmm. he, he was talking about like the John Cena's and the rocks of yeah. the world. So yeah. um, first I want to ask, when did you first get introduced to wrestling? Like how old were you when you started watching it? I first started watching it when I was five. Okay. Yeah. And they, we would see Saturday morning wrestling. That it was all WWF, which is what WWE was called mm -hmm. until the World Wildlife Fund said, you guys have gotten a little wild and we're not letting you use this name anymore. Yeah, I always wondered like when that transition happened. It happened in the 90s. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact date, but it like during the Attitude Era of pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was it. They just started to push the extremes a little bit too much and the world wildlife fund said okay no more yeah yeah that's fair yeah well you know it's funny the two biggest wrestling organizations for forever the wwf and nwa both uh shared their initials with other very popular oh, uh, groups oh yeah 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 and so at some point needed to differentiate themselves from them when they became mainstream enough yeah so your first uh, introduction to wrestling was when you were about five. Do you remember, yeah. like, were you specifically interested in certain wrestlers as a young kid? When I was little. So I, I just sort of knew that they were on. Okay. And I remembered like Rick Martell is one of the tag team champions. And my older brother watched it a little bit more than I did. So I just remember it was there. Okay. But I wasn't a huge fan. I became a big fan around 10. Okay. Uh, we moved to a new town. We moved to Seekonk and I knew wrestling fans. And that was where I got hardcore. And I was a hardcore fan from 10 to about 18. Okay. So, so that was my sweet spot right so, until I left for college. So what do you define as a hardcore wrestling fan? When I was a hardcore, I was buying all the magazines. Okay. Like I really, I was watching all the TV shows um, and, and you really, especially at that time, 
you could get into the world enough. And I don't know why I enjoyed it still, but I knew what was going to happen before it happened. At that time, it was very much, they set up the storyline and they didn't go for many big swerves. So if a guy was going to turn heel, you knew it was going to happen. They really foreshadowed it a lot. Interesting. So you knew a guy was going to turn. You had a pretty good feeling they were going to turn. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, so I watched pretty much everything that was on. And sometimes I'd watch it more than once. I would get all the pay-per-views and I really, and they had a lot of magazines at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even more than they have now, just because there's a, you know, it's the world. There aren't as many magazines now because there's so many message boards, but at the right. time we didn't have message boards. Yeah. So yeah. All and right. It's funny reading the magazines at the time too, because there was a delay. So everything you were reading about was essentially four to six weeks old. Oh, that's yeah. 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 And I still read it, which was silly. But I did you, had, you had probably like already watched it on on like pay-per-view or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. They would do the recaps. They talk about it. And when they would foreshadow it, they'd kind of they talk about things that were upcoming. And even though the publication was delayed, of course, they knew what was coming because they would get a heads up from the league going, yeah, these guys are going to wrestle at some point. So you can yeah. pretend that it's coming up a little bit quicker. And in the magazines, they'd actually do fake interviews and pretend that they were happening. So they would interview like Ricky Steamboat. Okay. And they'd be like, oh yeah, here's an interview. And they had journalists that they just made up. Oh, they weren't like actually interviewing these people. No, no. It was all fake. Some of the the writers were real, but like there was one guy named Matt Brock, who was this grizzled old reporter and other writers actually took turns being Matt Brock. It was essentially like a, just, just a, a pen name. But they acted like that was a real guy and he would go out and interview people. And yeah. And so when they would interview Ric Flair, they weren't really interviewing him. They would just write up an interview. And that's what it was. And, and pretend. Because what was Ric Flair going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, that's not real. Well, yeah. not real. Yeah. Well, because in, in reality, wrestling, it's a lot of like character and mm-hmm. like storytelling. So a lot of it's not even real anyway. No, I mean, it, it, it all depends on how you define real. Yeah. It's choreographed. Now, obviously, these guys get hurt and they're going out and they're putting a big effort together. But, you know, now they acknowledge that it's all choreographed and they have writers. And that's very different from my era mm-hmm. where we all knew it, but we pretended it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the biggest difference from when I was a kid. I knew it was going to happen and they would replay the same matches over and over again so for example like okay they would have the shows at the boston garden right yeah and on new england sports network they would broadcast those but they would also on monday night primetime on usa they would show matches from around the country so they'd show okay ricky steamboat and uh jake roberts are going to have a match at boston garden and Ricky Steamboat pins him when he turns a body slam into a small package. Blah, blah, blah. I'm very nerdy right now. They would basically have that same finish from Toronto. So we all knew. Yeah, we all knew knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, they did the same match. Because they're not coming up with a new match all the time. These were house shows. So 
I can do the same exact thing I did in Boston that so, I did in Toronto. So you're, oh, so you're telling me the same two guys would yeah. be in a match in Toronto and then they yep. would come to Boston and they would do the same exact choreographed match. Essentially, yeah. I mean, there would, there would be little different beats, but most of the time the finishes were the same. So just go, all right, you know, they, they a couple of things to be different, but they were essentially yeah. having the same match. It's interesting because as comics, we obviously always do a similar set or we try to work on similar material, yep. but it is so odd to me to think that that's how things that I would define as more like sports types of events would function, but it makes sense kind of. Yeah. yeah. And even as it started to become more popular and you saw more things broadcast, they still stuck to those things where, especially back then, the, the baby face, which is the good guy, would always start the match off strong and then the heel would come back and get him in trouble and then one of them would win. But that was always the way that worked. During a tag yeah. team match, there was always, uh, like Ricky Morton was half of a tag team called the Rock and Roll Express. And he became famous because they were the good guys and they would face the heels and they would be going well. And then Ricky would get hurt and he just kept trying to tag Robert Gibson all the time. He was the, the baby face in peril. And that was every single match was Ricky Morton would start getting his ass kicked and he would yeah. desperately be trying to tag Robert Gibson. And that was every match, every no match. matter what. Yeah. And eventually and you start going, Hey, maybe, maybe Ricky shouldn't be in there. What do you think? If he's always the guy getting in trouble, but of course, it was just the fact that he was the prettier of the two and people worried about him more. Oh. So he was the guy people were rooting to be able to make the tag. And that's yeah. why. Yeah. So as a kid, were you catching on to these things or were you just like excited to be watching the wrestling? Between that like age of 10 and 18 where you were a really big fan, mm -hmm. did you get tired of seeing these kind of like repeat things or were you just so into it that it didn't matter i mean towards the end i guess i did which is one of the reasons i just stopped watching yeah um and when i was young i just enjoyed it i enjoyed and they would mix it up so I, I, the way that they did it was still fun it was kind of like seeing the i mean it's essentially what they do in movies where a buddy comedy is the same beats but if people do it well you're enjoying watching it again yeah, yeah. So I yeah, I don't I, I went to see Rush Hour Three again. That was the same exact movie as Rush Hour One and Two. Yes. And I still had fun with it because you know, the Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan do that well. Yeah. So if you've got good storytellers in the ring, you're still having fun with it. But I stopped watching around the late eighties, early nineties, just because they weren't doing it as well. They got a little mm. bit lazy and they needed a big challenge, which luckily WCW was bought by Ted Turner and they put money into the product. Yeah. And they got a challenge and WWE became a lot better. Yeah. But towards the end, when I really fell out of it, the, the storylines were just kind of lazy and the characters were bad. It was when I stopped watching was the era of, for whatever reason, every wrestler was a guy who had another job and was also a wrestler. So it was a lot of like, what? all right, this guy's a race car driver, but now I'm bringing my, my skills to the WWF and I'm going to win that Intercontinental Championship. Like there was a guy, yeah, Thurman Sparky Plug, who became Bob Sparkplug Holly, 
who was a NASCAR racer who became a wrestler. There was an IRS agent who became a wrestler. There was a garbage man who became a wrestler. There was a dentist who was also a wrestler. It was a really weird Wait, era where people, they thought that was good. The, were those the... Those weren't their, were those their real jobs? No, no they were wrestlers. Yeah. Okay, there. I was going to say. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a repo man who's also a wrestler. wrestler. I'm no, a they, dentist they were, who's a wrestler. That oh, yeah. is. Isaac Yankum, DDS. Where do they come up with these names? They're writers. And they just, yeah, you know, they said, all right, here's a funny name. It was getting a little too broad. And I, I don't know why they thought that was a hook. Yeah. Because none of the biggest stars ever had that hook of I've got another job and I'm becoming a wrestler you know like Randy Savage Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and at that time the Ultimate Warrior and all those guys were still the top guys right but there was this whole middle class of these broad other job characters that just got kind of silly yeah yeah I uh I don't know a lot about wrestling from the early nineties. My wrestling knowledge is fully based on the, the E TV series, total divas about WWE. And I think a lot of my only knowledge about nineties wrestling is probably Hulk Hogan. And that is backdated from when he was doing reality TV in the early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, Hogan is an interesting guy who is still a, a personality yeah. in the world of wrestling. <clears throat> Definitely. I mean, he's the guy who really took wrestling national. Yeah. He. So I don't know how much you know about him becoming a big deal. I mean, I don't know a ton about him becoming a big deal. I just feel like he was the biggest deal for a very long time. Yeah. For yeah. forever. Yeah. He. So he was in Rocky Three. Right. It was a very big deal. And he had a, a really fun, important cameo. And he had been in a promotion that at the time, there was kind of the big three promotions. There was the NWA, which was a whole bunch of regional territories mm-hmm. that were a part of that. Then in the Midwest, there was something called the American Wrestling Association. Okay. Uh, that was really primarily in Minnesota, but they were also in Chicago and all the Midwest and Illinois and St. Louis and then there was the WWF, which was a Northeast territory, but they were starting to really push to be the national territory. Yeah. So Hogan was in the AWA okay. and the guy in charge of that, Vern Gagne, didn't want to put the world championship on him. He didn't want him to win it because he was an amateur wrestler. Oh. He was like, no, you got to be a real wrestler. And he thought Hogan was just a big muscle bound guy, which he was. Hogan yeah. was terrible in the ring, but he was a great personality and That's people loved him. Yeah. And so they kept screwing him over in that territory. After Rocky III came out and he was so popular in the AWA, Vince stole him and brought him to WWF and immediately made him the champion. Yeah. And then he just carried the WWF for the next 15 years. Yeah. I really do think that he, from what I know, he really did carry for like a very long period of time. Almost, it feels almost like he carried, and correct me if I'm wrong, up Mm -hmm. until like the era of The Rock. Yeah, well, he in a way, yeah, you, you could certainly make a good argument for that. But just because, so he really carried the WWF into the 90s. Yeah, okay, that's, was that's what it is. Yeah. Scandal. Yep. Oh, and, there's a steroid, that makes sense that there would be a oh, steroid yeah. scandal. Yeah. Yeah, with Vince and, because I mean, they were all juicing. Yeah. Um, weren't they, weren't so, all sports juicing in the 90s? Most of them. I, I can't imagine you weren't. 
mean, at the time, if you thought it could help you, yeah. I mean, it, pretty much every professional athlete is already risking their health to be better on the field. So I don't know why people are surprised when athletes don't draw or draw, don't, don't draw that line. Yeah. Cause I feel like the nineties, there were issues with baseball players juicing too. So like, that I'm not, yeah. I'm not shocked that there was this no. issue in WWE. Yeah. yeah. But it started big in the eighties and then Hogan went to WCW in the mid to late nineties. and was still trying to be the baby face hero and he wasn't playing quite as well. Sure. And then he, to his credit, became the best villain in yeah. wrestling. He turned from the most popular guy in the world to the most hated guy in the world. And he really carried it that off for another four five, six years. Um, but then in WWF, they had a stretch where Bret Hart was the champion mm-hmm. and he did a really good job, but it was definitely a downtime for WWE. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin really exploded. That's, yeah, you're right. And yep. he, yes, yes. he bridged to The Rock. Yes, that's and he and The Rock. I forgot used. about Stone Cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I have to ask, when you were a kid, were you more of a fan of the hero characters or the heels characters? Uh, baby faces. Baby yeah. faces? I mentioned Ricky Steamboat a couple of times. He was my yeah. guy. Okay. I respected, and he was terrible on the mic. Terrible interview. But he was so good in the ring, and I yeah. really loved him as a wrestler. Okay, I thought he was great. So he yeah. was my guy, and to me, it was almost like really loving, you know, when everyone's like, "Oh man, the Beatles are great," and you're like, "Yeah, the Beatles are fine," but you know who really inspired him was this guy, uh, Mud- Mudflap Wilson, yeah. and he was the guy that really they patterned themselves after. So everyone was like, "Oh, I love Hogan," I'm like Hogan, whatever. I love this guy. Yeah. He yeah, started yeah. in the mid-Atlantic territory. He knows what he's doing. It's funny because I think that a lot of people do that with things they're into. They're like, oh, I like what it originated from. Yeah. 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 Um, and did you collect outside of like watching uh, a lot of wrestling and, and reading magazines and stuff like that? Did you collect any like merchandise as a kid or anything like that? I was not a big merch guy. Okay. As much as I, and I knew more about wrestling than anybody I knew in my town. Yeah. Uh, like I would call the 900 numbers and win the trivia contest and that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But I never was big into the merchandise. So like I never got the wrestling buddies. Someone bought me the stuffed wrestling buddy, Ultimate Warrior, which is like, all right, okay. that was kind of fun. Yeah. But I never had the, the little toy ring. And I never, I've never owned the t-shirts. Like the only merch I have now is something like I have a Ric Flair pillow because my friend Oren got it for me for a fantasy league. Okay. But yeah, I was, I kind of wish I did so that I could unpack a few of those things and have my vintage eighties Andre the Giant t-shirt. Yeah. That would be fun, but sadly I do not. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people probably didn't collect stuff when they were kids. I I can't imagine the only collection I have is Beanie Babies and that's because I was under the impression they would be worth something and they're not. The Beanie Baby Company, what a racket. I know. It's amazing because everyone I know who has a basement full of them all says the same thing, which is, yeah, I never really liked them, but I thought they were going to be worth something. Yeah. It was like a stuffed plush Bitcoin. Yes. Where nobody used them and they weren't practical or fun 
but it's just like, all right, this is going to be worth something someday. So I'm going to have a ton of this. I mean, I remember days as a kid being on eBay, using my dad's account, like bidding on Beanie Babies that I thought were going to be worth something. And they're worth pennies now. You know, it, that's one thing I envy about like young people in their 20s is when I was a kid, you actually had to take cash yeah. out of your parents' wallets. And somehow there's just something a little ethically grayer about getting on their account and buying things. I think I asked it doesn't feel quite as much like stealing from your parents. Yeah, I think I asked permission first. Yeah. I'm sure on that one. Um, but so as far as wrestling goes, are you, because you have a, a son of your own now, like mm-hmm. is he into wrestling? Have you gotten him into any of that or no? No. no, and I am hoping he does not get into that. Okay. Then, I mean, if he were to get into that, it's not quite as grown up as the Attitude Era of the late 90s, early 2000s. Sure. But it's also not the cartoon version that I saw when I was little. Yeah. So I still don't think he's ready. He doesn't like blood. Okay. So, you know, it's not his thing currently, and it's not something I want to encourage him. Yeah. That's not something I'm into really anymore. Yeah. Like, but you don't... That- watch any you don't watch any current wrestling do you no not really sometimes i'll catch some stuff and now that wwe is on peacock yes um like i saw some of wrestlemania this year for the first time in a while yeah and i'll watch some of the old pay-per-views that i grew up with but i i don't follow the current storylines yeah so like i don't know if john cena is still wrestling or if he's just in movies or i don't know what's going on with john well they were trying to make him into like the next, I keep bringing the rock up, but I remember watching, they were trying to, his ex-girlfriend who was a wrestler, who's now married to somebody else, was talking about how they were trying to make him into the next rock. And now he just does like all these Experian commercials and he's like, he's um, doing that, um, that wipeout show, like he's just, yeah. I, I don't think he's wrestling. I can't imagine I, that he's wrestling anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's been around for a long time. Yeah. I, like, so I think he's, and, he, and he's fine in the stuff that he does. He did the kids movie where he was a firefighter. That was perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not the rock. I mean, the he's rock not is the a rock. star. Yeah. The rock is a the star. The rock is a star. It's John Cena is the Jude Law to the rock's Tom Cruise. Yeah. You that's can't fair. put him over the title. Yeah. Um, he can be perfectly good in supporting ways and be a fun personality. He's not a star. He's not a star. No. And his hair bothers me right now. So it's dyed. I mean, it's he's dyed. He's every, it looks weird. He's every comic over 50s where you're just like, dude, I know comics in their 20s who have gray in their goatees. How is yeah. yours jet black? Yeah, That's it's very weird. Yeah. yeah. It almost looks like a toupee at some point, but I don't want to say it. It's not, it, it can't be. There's no way. Well, it's, I, it's funny. I, I like, cause so, some people do that. And I'm always a big believer in do whatever you want to do with your hair. If you want to yeah. shave it, if you want a toupee, if you want to get replacement, if you want to color it, dye it, whatever you're doing, go for it. But you got to match it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing. Like I don't begrudge you, you know, the, the touch of, I, I think it looks better when you're older to just let it be a little bit gray and acknowledge the wisdom of your years you've earned your gray hair and it's fine but if you want to color your hair more power to you but hire someone to do that yeah yeah or take a class 
take a and, class. Yeah. I feel like John needs to make one of those choices. He has enough money. Role. He should be able to hire yeah. somebody to do that. Yeah, there should be no reason for John Cena's hair to look the way John Cena's hair looks right now. I agree. Yeah. Um. So I meant to ask before, but is there one specific wrestler from when you were like a super fan that you absolutely hated? Uh, hated in the way that I thought they were bad or hated that I enjoyed disliking? Ooh, let's let's go with the one you, you the second one that okay. you enjoyed disliking. Because they were great heels. I mean, I thought Jake Roberts was a really great heel and then had a ton of personal problems that derailed his career. Oh. But Jake Roberts was a lot of fun and a heel in a very different way. Okay. Then other guys were healed. I mean, Ric Flair is the, the classic heel mm-hmm. in the way that a lot of those champions were, which is I've got all this money. You're I, I'm better than you. I'm, you know, it's excess and it's, you know, you're beneath me. Yeah. Jake Roberts was just this kind of evil character, but in oh. a way that felt very grounded. Okay. So I thought he did what he did really, really well. Yeah. So I enjoyed him a lot and everyone had fun with Ric Flair. Yeah. Anyone who re- who watched anything in the 80s, you had fun watching Ric Flair. His matches were not as great as people pretend they were now. Oh, right now. Okay. And part of that's because of what we were talking about before, where he was the old school traveling champion. Right. Where he could do the same stuff in all these different City, house shows. Yeah. And nobody knew that. Right. And eventually it almost had to become a wink, wink, nudge, nudge joke where he would go up to the top rope and people would slam him off the top rope. And finally announcers would go, Rick, why are you doing this? This never works for you. Yeah. 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 And, but it worked great in the old territory days. And he, but, but when he was with the right guy, when he was with, you know, staying, when he was with the steamboat, when he was with the right wrestlers, he would break out fantastic matches again. So he could kind of go either way when he wanted to do something like when he won the Royal rumble he could sell so beautifully and he was always ready to put somebody over, but he also could fall back into the territory days of the seventies where I can keep doing the same stuff over and over and over again, because people aren't seeing it. Only they were seeing it over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 And, and who do you think, cause it sounds like maybe you had somebody in mind for the first person you disliked being the one who was just bad. Was there some, was there somebody that was just like, not you're like how did they get to this point um how did they they make it (laughs) right right there were guys where i I always understood why they made it or i that that person's not popping in my head the name that popped into my head and it almost feels wrong to say it is dusty Rhodes. okay because he was a baby face he was great on the mic he was a fantastic interview and he was this ridiculously out of shape guy who could still sell a match well. Okay. But he also was responsible for some of the worst wrestling in the 80s because he pioneered what was called the dusty finish. Okay. So he was a booker, which meant he was also controlling what was happening in the matches backstage. Okay. And he did this with his matches a lot. And then he just started doing it all the time where you would think that the baby face had won and then something would happen 
you know, usually a referee got knocked out and then the baby face would pin the heel and then the other guy would wake up and someone would be disqualified. So the title wouldn't change hands. Okay. You would always think something happened and then it didn't. Oh. And it, if you ever, I, I go back sometimes on YouTube, some of these old matches are there Saturday night, uh, you know, NWA wrestling on TBS and you go back and it's crazy. Now, one thing that is so, so much better about current wrestling compared to when I was watching it is people win, which sounds obvious. Like, of course, people win matches. You could go two hours of matches. And if it wasn't just squash matches between, you know, uh, a bum that is supposed to lose to the star. Yeah. You would just have match after match after match over and over and over again without a legitimate finish. Oh, so like you, you wouldn't know who won. won. Yeah, okay. you think somebody won and then, oh no, he didn't really win. So many disqualifications, yeah. so many really cheap endings. No one was ever allowed to win with their finishing move, which is kind of crazy. They had finishers and you could only beat scrubs with them. Yeah. And every pinfall had to be an out of nowhere pinfall. So just suddenly, oh, you rolled them up and then you won the match. Yeah. But no one was ever actually able to hit their finisher and get a three count because you knocked the guy out. No one was ever allowed to submit if they were a legitimate wrestler. So uh, even then, I just kind of said, why does anyone use a submission hold? No one's allowed to quit. Yeah. It's really insane. There was a match where Strike Force beat the Hart Foundation for the tag titles. And it was this huge deal because he, Rick Martel made Jim Neidhart submit. Okay. It was the first time that it happened in ages. Huh. I wonder yeah. I wonder what the reasoning was for that period of not having them do I, it's just mm -hmm. interesting that like there was such a change because it seems to me that part of wrestling is showmanship and like having yeah. those finishers is a big part of the showmanship of wrestling. It is and it's something that I think is a lot better about wrestling now. Yeah, there's, you know, there, there's value in having those moves. It's really fun that Randy Orton can hit the RKO and OK, now he wins because he hit his move. Yeah. And it even changed in the late 90s where, OK, Stone Cold was allowed to win with the stunner. Right. That just didn't happen a lot. Hogan was really one of the only guys who's allowed to win with his finisher. And it was the shittiest finisher in the world. It was a leg drop. Yeah. He was the guy who was able to win a match by actually taking out the opponent but yeah for so many of them like randy savage so rarely actually got to beat a legit guy with the elbow drop off the top rope it just didn't happen very much hmm. yeah it was a real shame even rick flair with the figure four he was n almost never even as the world champion allowed to win by a submission every once in a while he would get a guy in a figure four and they would pass out from the pain and get pinned because that was valiant Jeez. but no one was ever able to submit I feel like UFC really changed that huh? where okay. you could have, <clears throat> it just became known that a legitimate tough guy, if you're in the wrong move and your legs going to get broken or your arms going to get broken, yeah. it's smarter to tap out. All right. This is too much. I have to hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm still a, a legit tough guy. Yeah. And the, the, the move, move I think the movement of tapping out mm -hmm. helped it a lot too. It was more exciting yeah. Just having the guy, his hand hovering there. Is he going to tap? Is he not going to tap? Is he tap? not going to do it? Yeah. It was exciting. And that was, that also helped make that interesting again. 
Because I remember coming back to wrestling after years and just seeing some matches and a guy tapped and I went, what? That's, that's something you can do now? That's new. Yeah. 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 You didn't tap back in the day. That only came about after the UFC became a thing. Huh. It's interesting to think that they're not, that feels like a safety thing partially though, the Mm -hmm. tapping out, like, well, you know, yeah. Different decade. I mean, in real life, it is a safety thing. And back in the day, if somebody got legitimately hurt, you just let the ref knew and the match went out, you know, the match ended. Yeah. Yeah. And that depended on who needed to win. If you needed to change the storyline, blah, blah, blah. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin accidentally is famous botched pile driver that Owen Wilson, or Owen Wilson, Owen Hart pile drived him and accidentally legitimately broke his neck oh Um, god yeah like damaged his neck and so they had to basically kind of pause the match and the way that they did that so steve just let owen know like no no no, i'm really hurt i'm like i'm numb and i can't quite move and so owen just started yelling at the fans like yeah i've got this it's over but stone cold was supposed to win the intercontinental title that night and so yeah they just had to fix a new ending where out of nowhere stone cold just came up from behind him and rolled him up and pinned him but yeah that was uh you just had to make but he has a broken neck well the audience didn't know that at the time i mean the the fans are smart enough to know now oh something just went wrong yeah yeah okay something's not cool that was not supposed to happen yeah as somebody who has broken their neck, I don't think finishing a wrestling match is the right move for you. To yeah. yeah, but there's a real show must go on mentality yeah. for, for wrestlers, for comics, for actors. I, I, I can't even tell you how many actors I've done plays with that have stories that went, yeah, I was in the hospital that morning, but I was on the stage that night. I'm not surprised. I do think that these types of people are very like dedicated and stubborn and and would probably just keep going. So not shocking. All right, Mike. Well, it's been so nice having you on the podcast. I want to ask you about the podcast that you're doing. What's Mm -hmm. the norm podcast? um, Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's norm the cheers podcast. That's not quite a podcast. Okay. Um, because you can't get it on most uh, networks. So basically on Tuesday nights at 8.30 on Facebook and Twitch. And then, so we put it out on StreamYard. So I think there's a couple of other ways to watch it and I should know it better. Okay. But our main ways to watch it are on Twitch. You go to twitch.com uh, slash Dave Rabinow, who is one of the co-hosts with Tookie okay. Kavanaugh and myself. Uh, or you can go to our Facebook page, Cheers the Norm Podcast and watch it live there. And basically, we are going through the whole uh, series of Cheers episode by episode and talking about it and breaking it down. It was something that happened because during the pandemic, I was rewatching a lot of old comfort shows. Yeah. And I really loved Cheers. And Dave and I were talking about it. And we thought it would be fun to just talk about these old episodes. And we didn't see anybody else doing that or somebody else did something and then stopped. And so we said, all right, well, this is available. And then we didn't want it to just be two guys from that era who saw it live talking about it. Yeah. So we wanted to bring in Tookie uh, to also talk about it. Uh, so and is she a fan or is she watching all these episodes for the first time? She binged the series before. Okay. 
she is a fan, but not in the way that Dave and I are. She's okay. got some issues with it, which is what we talk about every week. Oh. You know, we are watching it and it kind of, it, it's not just fan service. It's also looking back and saying, okay, how do we feel about this 30 years later? Yeah. Or 40 years later in terms of season one and season two, where some things have aged really well and some things have aged really poorly. I'm not surprised. And, yeah. Yeah. And so we talk about that. You know, we talk about it from the perspective of when we watched it live and took you talks about watching it now for as a you know, woman in her late 20s and a woman of color and watching all these white people doing this thing. So every week she because when we first talked about it, she said when she binge watched it, she did a running count of how many black people were on the show yeah and so yeah every week we talk about how white the episode was very cool and well it's not cool spo- that the episodes are alert. very white but <laughs> they've all been very white i'm not surprised by that but yeah and yeah. so we just get together we talk about the show we talk about what's going on in the world and nice that's that's what we do very cool well yeah. mike it has been so nice having you on the podcast hopefully uh, you'll be back to doing comedy shows at some point in the future. Who knows? I think it'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, and for our listeners, as I say, every week you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Pandora, or wherever you found us. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts uh, and follow us on Instagram. Thanks so much, everybody. See you next week. This has been brought to you by Dead and Mellow. Follow us on all your social media platforms and shop around at deadandmellow.com to see all of our stand-up, music, and podcast releases. Thank you, and God bless America. All right, see you later. See you. Are we actually leaving or just that dig? <laughs>